All right. How's that? We're still getting funny noises, but hey. Extraterrestrial. All right. Welcome, everybody, again. Good to see you. And um, uh, just a couple of pastoral things to, to touch on. First, uh, first of all, huge welcome back to Terry Ann, who's been in Haiti for over four months. Is that right? Three months. Oh, I see. I'm always evangelistic. Yeah. But wow, what a story. And when, when she gets settled, and, and I, I want her to share, I heard some of the good stuff this week, and it's just so exciting. Uh, and so good to have you back for a few months. Anyway, awesome. And uh, a huge um, uh, sympathies to Susan uh, and to her daughter, Jen. They lost a father and a grandpa this week in, in the Calgary area. They're going back this week for the funeral. So we send our love to, to Susan. And um, there's somebody else I saw here that I need to mention. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. My mom and dad, of course. <laughs> Shoot. Can't forget that. My mom and dad are here. George and Gwen Lagore. George and Gwen. So great grandparents and par grandparents and parents and too many. So uh, welcome, mom and dad. So Joanna's going to pray for me and we're going to fire away. Lord, thank you for the life in our church. Thank you for, for the gift of doing life together as a, as a community. Lord, I thank you for how, um, how you've given as a, as a gift. And, and many times I know it hasn't always felt like, like, a, like an easy gift. Um, this journey that Gordy has been walking uh, these many years, but particularly in the last year and a half to two years, in his role as our, as one of our national leaders in the vineyard, navigating our, our statement of faith and, and walking through what it means to, to love, to, to, to make every effort to seek unity in the bond of peace, to really figure out what it means to love each other every day. And, uh, and Lord, this series that we're going through is the result of so many hours and a lot of them are, are him alone, working alone, just in his office, asking you, Holy Spirit, for wisdom on a computer screen, back and forth, or two or three people. And Lord, as we bring this now into this new season for our church, would you work this into the fibers, into the fabric of our community? Would you illuminate for us those beautiful gold fibers where it's already there, where it's already what we're doing, where it's just calling out what is? And would you show us where those weaves, where, that, where it needs to be tightened, where it's gotten warped, where it, where it needs to come back and forth. Clarify crystal clear Gordy's words, his ability to speak to us today. And would you, again, one more time, open our hearts. Give us focus. Give us singular focus. Allow us to shut off our internet brains and just come here, Lord. 100% just focused on what you have for us today. We thank you that you will, because you do when we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Joanna. All right. So 
we are going to uh, continue our series, Encounter Jesus, Live the Story. And uh, this sounds familiar because it was actually the theme of our national celebration that we had in Cambridge, Ontario, or Kitchener, Ontario, uh, in July. And it's a statement that came as a result of a lot of prayer and wrestling about four years ago. Uh, the newly appointed national team, of which Kathleen and I were a part, were holed up in some remote area of New Brunswick, the far east of Canada, and we were asking God to show us how could we in one sentence define who we are. Now, why is that important? Why is it important to summarize something in a sentence? You teachers should know this, right? We ask our, our teachers when they're preparing to actually come up in their preparation, and sometimes this is the hardest part of a sermon prep, is to actually come up with one sentence that summarizes everything they're going to say. And the reason why that's important is because it keeps you focused. There's a lot of times that, you know, you come away from a sermon, not mentioning any names, and you go, boy, there was a lot of good stuff in there. I can't remember anything he said. <laughs> now, the uh, gender there that I mentioned kind of narrowed it down. Um, and it's because... There was no focus. A lot of good stuff, but no focus. And so we felt the need as a movement and as local churches to really capture our focus in, in a statement. And so we prayed, we wrestled, we argued, we, we, we stated things, we pushed back, we got on our faces, we worshipped, we went away, we went for walks, we went snowshoeing, we came back. And snowshoeing, I'll tell you, that gives revelation. There's just something about, something about that oxygen. you know. And, and we came up with this statement, Encounter Jesus, Live the Story. And it's fun. And I've seen this happen a number of times over the last few years where you've wrestled with stuff, you've argued, you've, 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 you've pushed back, and you hit this moment where all of a sudden you go, the penny drops. And it's like you go, everybody go, everybody goes, yeah. Yeah, and we had kind of that yeah moment with this statement about four years ago, and I was then assigned uh, to expand on this uh, in a document that would bring fresh language to our vision and mission as a movement. It's not that our vision and mission has changed, but we always, language is always changing, isn't it? We always need fresh language to, to, and updating. I have this discipleship manual. I was saying to Terry Ann the other day, I have this discipleship manual I wrote back in the 1980s, and it's good stuff. But it feels a bit like reading the King James Bible. And uh, it's, it's good, but it's, it's needing an update. And language is like that. And so I began to pray and seek the Lord and and uh, began to research what, what God seemed to be doing across the body of Christ and other movements, in our own movement, in other nations, in the U.S. and U.K. And I noticed that there was a shift happening in the way that we declare these kinds of things. Now, first of all, let me define what I mean by vision and mission. When we talk about vision and mission, we're talking about what we see with regards to our preferred future and our desired outcome. In other words, we're going for something. As the saying goes, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it dead on every time. We're aiming for something. 
We have an organizational bias. We're, we're organized to get the results that we're getting. And, and this is because we, have make, we make decisions about what's priority and, and, and what's, what matters to us. And so um, it's interesting because I had the Canada Revenue Agency. How many know they like charities? And uh, we've been engaging with them a lot for a number of reasons. And lately they asked me to, and this was a little bit last minute. I, I didn't realize I had to do this. And so I found myself with a deadline of not very much time. And they asked me to write a statement of, of our activities as a charity. And they wanted to know how our activities align with what our stated objectives are, what our, our, our mission is in our Constitution. So I had a quick look at our Constitution. It was good to be reminded <laughs> of what we're here for. And I wrote like mad. Just, it felt like my comprehensive exam when I did it for Regent. It was a, you know, and you know what you do. And, and and before I say this, you guys are in East Van. If there's any visitors, so just keep that as a caveat. But but what happened is is in my comprehensive exam, I had to read for a full year a lot of stuff. Read and read and read big manuals, volumes of material, and then you're given three hours to pick three out of 20 questions that they give you, and you have to take the first 15 minutes, pray like mad, oh God, oh God, which question? You have to decide which question you're going to answer, and then for the rest of the two hours and 45 minutes, you write like hell. I'm serious. It just you're just going. Oh God. Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. You're just going. Uh, Jessica, she's teaching the primaries downstairs this morning. She was right behind me as I was going. I don't know what was what was coming off my neck, but but I wrote like crazy, and it all turned out good. But it was like a fire hose that came out of me, and and it felt like that as I as with this deadline with CRA, and I came out with a statement of what we do as a church, and it was so powerful. I'm. Thank God for the government sometimes um, because um, it really forced me to see how what we do lines up with what we, we say we're about. It was a good reminder of why we do what we do. And I'm going to put that document out for you. I didn't get time to do it for this Sunday, but I'm going I'm to make it available for you. I want you to look at it as to why we do what we do. The activities we do. You know, we're not just in this endless cycle of trying to find volunteers to do the coffee. How many know there's more about it than that? Right? So our vision and mission is founded. It, it's, it's, a, it's a statement of a preferred future, but it's based on something. It's based on our, on our beliefs. And I know the, the Apostles' Creed was beautiful this morning, and I love reading it, but how many know that's not how God re revealed our, our beliefs to us? How did it come? It came in the form of a story, right? So um, if we can go to the next uh, slide there, uh, our vision is a statement in a sense of who we are, our preferred future, who we see ourselves becoming as a people. Our mission is what we do. It's, it's what we're called to do, and what we do should flow out of who we are. That needs to be in sync. And our statement of faith is founded and given to us in the language of story. There's a, and so we called it a fusion document. And so this fusion document 
uh, was done up, and there was a lot of consultation across the country with pastors and leaders all across Vineyard Canada, and, and leadership teams. It wasn't just pastors. It was their ministry teams, their leadership teams. There were some good writers across the country that gave me input. Um, every church was consulted. Does this represent who we are? And there was a lot of work. Again, more pushback, more shifting, more, you know, I'd get, get feedback. And have you thought about this? And what about this? And there was just this reworking of it. It was like kneading bread, you know. And, and, and just, it, it felt like a beautiful work of art. And it felt like the process was just as important as the product, as to what came out of it. What was happening, the communication and the interaction that was happening across the country. And we came up with this fusion document. And that document is, by the way, available at the back table. So you can pick a copy of that as you walk out today. And it's also available on our Vineyard Canada website called our fusion statement, our fusion document. A statement of our vision, of our mission, based on our statement of faith in the language of story. So what is God's vision and mission? We need to look at this. So let's look at the first paragraph. Encounter Jesus, live the story. And I, I thought this is the introductory paragraph. Again, an introduction is important. It, it, it is, is, it's like your sermonic sentence, but now you expand it to a, a paragraph. And uh, I thought it would be good if we read this together. Can we? Let's all read it together. We are a family of interdependent and mission-folks communities devoted to an ongoing encounter with God whom Jesus of Nazareth has made known to us, compelled and energized by the love given to us by his spirit, we will take our place in his story to transform the world by proclaiming through word and deed the good news of the reign of God. Now just leave it there for a sec, guys. And, and I, I, is there anything... Let, let's do a Lectio Divina. Let's read it again, a little bit slower, and then I want you to watch for anything that just kind of jumps out at you or grabs you or hits you differently as we read it. Let's read it again, a little slower. We are a family of interdependent and mission-focused communities devoted to an ongoing encounter with God whom Jesus of Nazareth has made known to us, compelled and energized by the love given to us by his spirit, we will take our place in his story to transform the world by proclaiming through word and deed the good news of the reign of God. Okay, popcorn, anything, just shout out anything that kind of stood out to you as, as you read that. Family. Family. Devoted. Devoted. Compelled and energized. We will take our place in his story. And transforming, transform the world. Communities. Good. Plural. Joanna? Jesus of Nazareth. Energized. Ongoing encounter with God. Proclaiming through word and deed. St. Francis, right? Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I love that. 
Yeah, Trinitarian, isn't it? The Father's in there, the Son's in there, the Spirit's in there. And I didn't think about that until today, actually. I was looking at it today, and I went, the Trinity's in there. Cool. Love. Given to us. Romans 5, right? The, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And I... There's one other thing I noticed this morning. I don't, it, Dan kind of got it, but it just a little bit. Communities. What, what, what's going on with these communities? There's a, there's a synergy, isn't there? There's an interdependency between these communities. And I, I feel the Holy Spirit coming strongly on that this, this morning. All right, let's go to the next slide. And I've, I've highlighted... Kind of what I, I felt the, the light of God shining over, because we, we want to work through this document. And I felt like the Lord wanted us to uh, address for a few minutes as we, and, and Strathcona Vineyard are with us this morning and have graciously offered to serve us communion again. So do you realize that this is the third Sunday in a row that we've had communion? I'm starting to feel really Catholic and Anglican and. Yeah, Book of Acts, yeah? So, devoted to an ongoing encounter with God. Can we all say that? Devoted to an ongoing encounter with God. Now, there's, the word devoted is translated in the NIV in the Book of Acts. It says that after the, early, the first believers had heard Peter's sermon and his call to repentance, it says that they were baptized and, and it says that this first 3,000 uh, people that came to the Lord, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship. That word fellowship is from the Greek word koinonia, which means community, togetherness, the Africans say umoja, interdependency. They devoted themselves to no longer being isolated and independent, but looking for synergy, looking for ways to be together, to work together, to collaborate. There was this spirit of togetherness. There was a devotion to that. So this devotion, this word devotion from the Greek literally means a stubborn Focused persistence. There was a holy stubbornness to to an ongoing encounter with God. And for them, that looked like coming together, breaking bread, giving themselves to teaching and prayer. There was a synergy with God, an interdependency with God. Without God, they could not. Without them, God would not. There was this sense of synergy between the church and God. And so, this, this devotion is, had a tangible expression in the early church in the way that they lived that out, this devotion to an ongoing encounter with God. There was body language to it. They moved their bodies to come together. They moved their bodies to break bread. They gave themselves to teaching. They met in homes and in the temple. 
There was this, it was almost a carryover from the, year, from the Old Testament. I was reading the priests. I'm reading through Exodus right now. And the priests were to light the candle every morning and light it again every night. And they were to make sure incense was always burning on that altar. There was a devotion. There was a persistence. There was a stubbornness to keep pressing into this encounter with God. And we know that we can't encounter God by our works and by our efforts but there's a sense where God calls us to press in. We know that we can do all these things and still not encounter him unless he reveals himself. So there's this humility where we recognize any encounter with God is by his grace and mercy. And yet he looks for those who call on him, who seek him, who pursue him. But many of us have encountered God, but we're not yet devoted. We're flirting, we're courting, but we haven't entered into that covenant even Jesus' own disciples went through a, a time where they were flirting and courting and checking it out, which is okay. There's, there's seasons and times for that. And we kind of find that for in the life of Peter when we come to our text today, which is, which is Luke chapter 5. And I'd like to read uh, from this, this Peter. The context is Peter's had a few encounters with Jesus. Remember in John 1, he hung out with Jesus in his house for a day and we sometimes have this idea that Jesus was walking along Galilee and he saw the disciples and said, follow me. And it was the first time they ever saw him and they dropped their nets, said, bye, dad. Bye, dad. And, you know, followed. But it didn't happen that way. It was a process. And Luke tells us one of the key encounters for Peter that brought him to that place of devotion. And... Um, Let's just read it, verse 1 of, of Luke 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I was sitting on the pool deck in, at our resort in Soyuz this summer. It was early in the morning. It was about 7 o'clock, quite early. And it was a, I love sitting on the pool deck. It looks out over this orchard, this vineyard, actually. And then you can see the, the lake, Soyuz Lake, and the whole valley. I know it's, it's hard, but some people have to do it. And um, it was really quiet. And as I was reading this text, I had an encounter with the Lord. And it was one of those encounters where I felt like I, it's, it's like afterwards you realize, whoa, the Lord was there. It's like Jacob, and I didn't know it. The Lord was here. I had this encounter, and I felt like the Lord just, just kind of sit down beside me there on the pool deck. And he just had a talk with me about our move as a church, that we were moving from the Salvation Army. And, and we'd often use the analogy of, a, of a scaffolding as... The, the building that we'd been in was scaffolding, and the real building is the, is the people of God, and, and that God was moving us. And, and, but we still needed a building, so I'm going, are we moving from a, one scaffolding to another? And, and I felt like the Lord said to me, I want you to change your metaphor. You're moving into a new season. Instead of scaffolding, it's a boat. And the boat I'm going to put you in is you've been faithful, you've been preaching my word, you've been faithful as a congregation, you've been devoted to these things, but... 
I am putting you in a greater proximity to see more disciples made, for more teaching to happen. What, what is going to happen is the angle is going to shift. Jesus was preaching on the shore and people couldn't see him and they were crowding and somebody said, what did he say? And you know, all this was going on. And so he jumps into Peter's boat. He gets in Peter's, Peter's, he's just fishing and he's, he's, he's frustrated. He's had a bad night. They haven't caught anything. And, you know, so Jesus says, hey, Pete, can I borrow your boat? Well, might as well. It's not good for anything else. So P Jesus jumps in Peter's boat and they pull out from the shore. And all of a sudden the angle is such that the crowd can see and hear Jesus. And I felt like the Lord was saying that in this new season, he's going to put us at an angle in proximity to a community to bring to bring in many disciples who will hear and be taught and, and, and discipled to become followers of Jesus. So that was the first thing. The second thing is in the next slide, verse 4. It says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, you can almost feel like Peter's kind of condescending to say, well, Jesus, you know, you're the preacher, we're the fishermen, you know, but, you know, because you say, we'll, we'll, we'll do what you say. Now, Jesus asked him to improvise. He asked him to do something very creative and innovative. He asked him to go out deep, and instead of casting his nets on this side, cast his nets on the other side. Very creative, Lord. And, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. We've read this story before. It, it speaks to our impotence when we've done things and it hasn't worked and we've worked hard. And then the Lord comes to us again and almost asks us to do almost the same thing. And we go, we go but that doesn't work. We tried that. It doesn't work, right? So, verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. <laughs> That's actually kind of a funny scene. And you, you, you compare it to the impotence and the barrenness that they just had experienced. And the second thing I felt the Lord say is that he, by bringing us over here, he's taking us to a, into a season where we will launch into the deep so that many can come to him. Many that we've not been able to reach before, we will be put in a place where we can bring in the nets, we can bring in a harvest, that there's, there's a great harvest, there's a spiritual hunger, a spiritual harvest that we will be able to bring people to know him and to become disciples. And the third thing I felt him say, that in this boat that we will in, we are in, it will not be adequate to contain what he wants to do. And that the only way that it's going to work is interdependency. We got to get the Strathcona boat. Um, we need the Grandview boat. We need other vineyard boats. We need, there needs to be that interdependence and, and, and cross-pollination of, of the church working together. And almost as a sign to that, I don't know how many of you read the Vancouver Sun yesterday. Did you know we're in it? Um, there's an article on East Village. Now, East Village is formerly Hastings Sunrise, which is this neighborhood. And actually, there was two pages. This is only one. It was two full pages on East Village. And Platform 7 is featured in there. 
And they talk about this crazy church that always comes and shows up from the neighborhood at their coffee shop. And the guy says, this church group's always coming in. He says, there's a wide-ranging number of them here. We have, a wild, we have wild people, the transgendered, young families, people we used to call the yuppies, the upper class that can't afford to buy further west in the city, people who look like they're in the 80s. And then we have this church group that loves us to death. So that's Platform 7, just around the corner there on some free advertising. And, uh, I th you know, it was, it was just, for me, an interesting sign. We've arrived in the neighborhood. Guy's name is Mark. Just say you're from the vineyard. Uh, he'll, he'll know who we are. So what's going on? Let's read verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything to follow him. Let me, let me ask you, what's going on here? Why does this incredible miracle happen? And Peter fall on his knees and say, Jesus, leave me. Go away. You'd think that this would have been like Peter's penny-dropping moment where he goes, yeah, this is what I've been waiting for all my life. And it's like he comes to this thing that he's been longing for and dreaming for and his heart is cried out for and he's confronted with it and he goes, no way. Uh, 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 uh. It was nice to talk about it in sermons. It's nice to have a vision statement. But when it actually happens, are you kidding me? Now, I think Peter was having a neb moment. Can we show this next one? Now, I've been telling you guys about Nebuchadnezzar, and for three weeks I've been recovering from trauma because I traumatized some of our preschoolers. And it was because... I was in this class where I was supposed to be teaching the preschoolers and the primaries and the intermediates all at the same time. And I found out later from some of the caregivers that one of the children was traumatized by my story. And it is in the Bible, uh, but it, I t can be a bit dramatic. And so I was trying to, you know, you know what it is when you have a multi generational group there, multi-ages, you, you get one and you're missing the other ones. Or, so you go after these ones and you're getting them and now you're traumatizing these ones. That's what happened. It was PG-14 for a few minutes there. With, and so I was telling the story of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And remember Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, Neb had this dream and he, he was troubled by it. He was traumatized by it. He woke up, and he was so desperate to get the interpretation, he didn't want people to get it wrong, so he called all these experts, dream interpreters, to come and tell him his, the interpretation, but he said, uh-uh, anybody can guess the interpretation. You can't do that. you got to first of all tell me what the dream was. Then I'll know you can interpret it. And of course they said, well, nobody's ever been doing it, so then he's threatening to kill him, and I think that was where the kids got a little upset. And... Uh, because he kind of described how he was going to kill them. That's, ooh, shouldn't have done that. Anyway, but it's in the Bible, and just saying. And so, um, 
he's going to demolish your houses. And, and Daniel, of course, was in this crowd. And um, Daniel says, hey, give us, give us a bit of time. So he called his friends. They fasted. They prayed. And in the middle of the night, God showed him what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. And so this is what Daniel saw. He came before Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, this is what you saw. You saw an image, a statue with a head of gold, with a mid midsection of silver, and then thighs of bronze, and then legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. Neb goes, yeah, you got it. Okay, okay, you can live for another day. Now I need you to tell me what the interpretation was. And so he says, well, Nebuchadnezzar, you were that head of gold, and there's another kingdom coming after you, which we now know was Persia, which will be that, represent the silver. And then the bronze is the, is the kingdom of Greece. And then the iron, will, will, we now know, was the kingdom of, of, of Rome, and then it became a divided empire, so iron and clay which is not as strong together. The east and west of Rome divided. So D Daniel's uh, image was very accurate about history, about the coming... The future. We all long to know, what's the future hold? And how do I align my life for that future? And as I'm telling the kids this, I'm going, this isn't scary. This isn't scary. What's so terrifying about this? And then I got it. See that little rock? That little rock there. That's what made it scary for Nebuchadnezzar. Because he was, he was where he wanted to be in this story. He was the head. He was the star. He was the rock star. Most powerful nation in history. And he was enjoying it. But this little rock, and, and actually there was, it's kind of cute. I was looking on the internet and there's this great picture. And it's got this, it's like this, this image is standing there like this. And the rock is coming like a comet across the, across the sky towards it. And I went, perfect. But then it said $2.99 for purchase. And then a big thing across the middle. Thou shalt not steal. And I thought, well, ah, imagination is better than... <laughs> but imagine a comet heading towards this, this, this statue, right? And, um, and so uh, this rock hit the statue at the legs, at, at the bronze, uh, or the iron legs, and smashed it to pieces. And then the rock began to grow, and I went, oh, that's what was scary for Nebuchadnezzar. That rock began to grow and grow and grow, and it kind of filled the room and blew out the walls and the doors, and it just kept growing and growing and growing until it became a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar says, what does, what does that mean? And Daniel said, in the days of these kingdoms, God himself will establish his kingdom." And that kingdom will grow and all other kingdoms will come to nothing. So you better align yourself with that kingdom because everything else is going to fall apart. And so Peter was having a neb moment because he was the king of his world. He knew how to fish. He knew how to be in control. He knew how to... And all of a sudden he was confronted with something that was out of his control way greater than him. He wasn't the star anymore. He was a stagehand at the back of the theater. But he wasn't the star. The king was. Jesus Christ. And that's the kingdom he was being. And every one of us faces that clash of stories in our lives with God encounters. When God encounters us, our stories clash with him and we either align ourselves with his story or that story... Uh, clashes with us. 
What is that story? Well, the story started with idea. It's just like any story, idyllic beginnings. Things are great. The world's wonderful. All is beautiful. But then paradise is lost. There's a tragedy, a disaster. And then there's the struggle. And we know the story. Our story is the creator's on a mission to make everything right, to restore the world, to transform the world, as we said in our, our vision statement. And it's leading to a finale where the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. In every ministry, every local church, every parachurch ministry, every project, every dream, every do, everything we do, God calls us to align ourselves with this story. So our story, aligned with that, begins with an encounter with God. God encounters us. Like Peter, we meet him. We're confronted with something. But our story is sustained by an ongoing encounter. So we are a people of expectancy. As we devote ourselves to an ongoing encounter with God, we don't just have communion and do worship and get the coffee ready and, and, and have our home groups and do our outreaches. We don't do those things with, by rote. We do it with an expectancy of the inbreaking kingdom. That comet's coming. And it's always ready to inbreak. But even in the ordinary things, the changing of the diapers, the washing of the dishes, the bro Brother Lawrence moments that Lynn talks about, even there, everything we do is God's work. Everything Amen. is God's work. So whether it's dramatic and inbreaking and we see power, or whether it's just the ordinary moments where we just... Like Kenny cleaning up the garbage bags around the building today. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is advancing. And it's a king kingdom. It's an, it's an encounter in community. It's not me and Jesus. We've got our own thing going here. I believe in solitude. I'm that kind of person. But I also know that, like the Africans say, I am only a human. I'm only a person through other persons. That that I'm not human without community. That is my humanity. It's community on a mission. We are joining in God's mission in the world to transform this world. It's a mission initiated by God and Christ by the Spirit. I, I love where Peter said, or Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, he says, um, let us uh, Inde walk worthy of your calling this way, endeavoring, working, devoted, stubbornly, going after, keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Get that? What do you work at? Keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, bearing with one another in all humility. Like, that's hard work. And you guys do that. And you're doing a great job at that. It's wonderful. It's like our 25th anniversary, that word that Joanna had about how wonderful that event was. It was an incredible event. A visitor coming would have gone, wow, that's wonderful. But what Jesus was excited was about was all the things that fell apart behind the scenes. And we were still loving each other. And that's what God loves. But it's a Trinitarian community, Don. Paul said there's one God and Father of all, one Lord Jesus Christ, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. There is one body. Everybody say that. There is one body consisting of interdependent communities. 
So your story, you and I are invited to, be, to take our little puny stories that seem little, seem insignificant, and to align ourselves in the story. Through, through these ongoing encounters, that alignment continues. So let's, uh, let's look at what this looked like in the early church. Peter had preached a great message. They'd seen, heard tongues, seen tongues of fire, heard the wind. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to, the, to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. How many know repentance is not a one-time thing back 30 years ago? Every day we need our minds changed. We need to change our way of thinking. There's a new kingdom that's advancing. So it's metanoia. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They, they, as Peter, abandoned everything to follow him. So in conclusion, my sermonic sentence. Sermonic sentences make good conclusions often, sometimes good introductions, sometimes both. Being devoted to an ongoing encounter with God creates the conditions for effectively keeping our stories in alignment with God's story. I find that if I am not pursuing that ongoing encounter with God, my story starts to get out of sync with his story. It was never meant to be apart from abiding in the vine. We're the, we're the branches. He's the vine. That ongoing interdependency, walking with Jesus. And communion is an expression of that. Communion is an expression of interdependency. Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no life in you, Jesus said. So for reflection in our communion time, and I'm going to have Dawn come and share, just introduce this, and maybe we can, someone can go let the children know that we're ready. And uh, they'll, they'll be up in a minute. So Dawn, do you want to wait till they come? Maybe so they hear? Well, we'll give them a couple minutes. I, I, let me just go over these reflections. And these are in your bulletin, so you don't need to worry if you can't remember them because you can uh, debrief these in your home group or just even in communion time. We kind of like to ask people to reflect on a message on three levels. Number one, personally. Two, as a community. And thirdly, in light of our culture around us. And So personally... Reflect on Peter's resistance to join the larger story. Where did you resonate with that? Where did that speak to points of resistance in you? How does it speak to those places of resistance? To joining the, 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 the story of God. Secondly, community. As a community, how could our organizational bias be more in alignment with being devoted to an ongoing encounter with God? So, for example... 
The Lord's been speaking to me about the fact that since the Protestant Reformation, especially those of us in the Reformed tradition and background, and this came down to our Pentecostal roots and different ones of us, we have communion once a month. And sometimes I, I just don't feel quite right about that. And so is that something maybe we, we take on in our home groups? Do we have it more on Sunday? It does require more volunteers. By the way, kudos to our volunteers who have been meeting Veronica and bringing her in. You know what the picture I've had, Veronica, is those four guys that helped that, that paralytic get to Jesus. That's, that's kind of what I've been just bringing. And you came into his presence today, didn't you? Just you sensed his presence. So I think one of these days, who knows? Maybe the power of God's going to hit you like that paralytic today. Well, we know he's going to. We're just not sure exactly what the results will be. But, but we're praying and we're believing. So that's community. And thirdly, culture. What are the specific cultural barriers of our time to people being devoted to an ongoing encounter with God? What are the distractions? I don't want to totally lampoon our culture. There's good things about our culture that are in alignment with God's story. But what are the cultural barriers, you know, that keep us from that devotion to an ongoing encounter? When Jesus said all that was required for his church to be the church was what? Does anybody remember? What, is it, what does it take to be a church? The people in China know this. Two. Just one more than yourself. Two, and he said, maybe three. Where two or three are gathered in my name. So that devotion part. Let's start there. So Don, just, just share with us. Thanks, you guys. We just really appreciate your heart for us. And yeah, so um, I'm one of, one of the pastors at Strathcona Vineyard. And you notice I said one of, because we actually now have two pastors in our congregation. Last week, we had a commissioning service for Jamie Helliwell. So, um, you know, small as we are as a congregation, we've always had a vision. We believe that having multiple people who serve and in this way in pastoral capacity is necessary for our context. And so with a big sort of jump of faith, we've decided to just do what we really feel the Lord is asking us to do. And Jamie's come on board and it's been a, 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 an interesting process for him. So you should hear some of his story of how he ended up in this position. Because Jamie is defending his, uh, his PhD this month in philosophy. This is a bit of a curve you know, for him. So he's got a very interesting story of how the Holy Spirit led him and how he led us as a community. Okay, so that's, so I'm one of the pastors of Strathcona Vineyard, and we've been participating in the life of this congregation every other Sunday for about a year now. Actually, yes, just over a year. Um, as a way to serve, be connected to our larger community, that sort of interdependent, but sort of shared life together, supporting one another, praying for one another, cheering one another on. And we felt like, I felt like it was important for us to come and bring the bread and the juice to you guys today, because this starts a new season for you. Um, and I, if anybody knows me, you'll know that I have, I love breaking bread. 
You'll hear lots of different ways that communities describe the Eucharist, breaking bed, c bread, communion. I love breaking bread. And it's interesting that you mentioned just where do we do it, how often do we do it. I do it as much as I can. So I do it over dinners with people. I do it in my home. I do it when I'm out. I do it in, in our gathered communities. We always break bread. Because there's something about coming and receiving from Jesus um, this symbol of his body and his blood that was shed that reminds us of our need for him. You know, we live in a fragmented world, don't we? If we can get sort of overwhelmed by some of the brokenness in our society, right? We can get overwhelmed by some of the, um, the brokenness in our own lives, and think about it, our, 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 particularly our society in the West is very individualistic, right? It's, so communion is all about communion with God and others. It reminds us of our need for unity and togetherness. Hello. Welcome, ladies. And um, I don't know whether you know this, but years ago in South Africa... This, this, is, this was a real penny dropper for me. Years ago in South Africa, apartheid started because of brokenness at the communion table. Do you know that? So the whole segregation movement that started of separating the whites from the blacks started right in the church at the communion table because they forgot that it was all about being together and having communion with God and with one another. They started to say, we can't share the same goblet as the different colors from us. It's so opposite to the gospel, isn't it? Because the gospel, the good news of the kingdom is, is come, come to Jesus. Come to his table, come to his fellowship, come to this meal. You know, I always think it's very interesting that it's a meal that Jesus invites us to partake in because we need to eat all the time every day. It's a reminder that we need to partake of Jesus all the time, every day. And the thing I love about communion is that there's this mysterious thing that happens. It's both this physical partaking, but it's this mystical partaking. The Spirit of God comes and indwells us as we receive Jesus, because it's a way of surrender. Now, I know last week you went up to the, to the rail um, and, and took communion sort of the Anglican way, and I love that, because posturing is important. There's something about mo our, us moving our bodies and kneeling, this act of surrender, saying, Jesus, we need you. But there's also other ways to do it, where we just come and just receive from one another, and we share from one another. So I wanted just to read from Luke, Luke's gospel that reminds us of why we partake in communion, and then um, I'll bless the elements for us. When the hour came, this is from Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the pause. fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So my invitation for us today, and it's always my invitation when we gather at Strathcona, is it doesn't matter how much faith you have, whether you're new to Jesus, whether you're just discovering Jesus, his invitation is come. Look who was at the table with him, the betrayer, you know, the, 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 the doubter. Like they were all there. They were all there at the table because Jesus says, come and partake of me, be renewed in me, communion with me and with others. So I'm just going to bless and then please come at your own leisure. And some of our Strathcona guys will come and, and serve the elements. There, is, there are rice crackers for those who uh, need gluten-free things and little cups if you need that. And then I, also, I always like the one cup idea, you know, that Gordy mentioned. One body, right, that Gordy mentioned, one cup for the new covenant that we share together. So, Jesus, I want to thank you so much for your body. It's not just a symbol. It's something we need. We need it, especially in our day and age. We need to remember that you are the one who reorients us to the world. As we turn to you, as we come and are reminded of you as our king and of your kingdom come and coming and will be coming, we take this and, rem and remember that, Jesus, you're everything that we need. You're all that we need. And as we share in this cup of the new covenant, your blood poured out for us as a living reminder of our need for you, Jesus, and of the cleansing power of your blood, that it doesn't matter if we're a betrayer, we're a sinner, we're a doubter, you say, come, come and partake of me. So, Jesus, we bless these elements in Jesus' name. Thank you. 